welcome back to Unclassical for episode five of Poirot. I fucking no. I'm already the one reading it, man. No, um, no. Yeah, maybe five. I, I don't know. I think it's five. Five. Yeah, episode five. Welcome back, everyone. I am Marsha. And I'm Katie. And uh, I ate too much food and I'm full. Yeah, so did I. I also probably drank too much wine. And uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting if I could... Oh, I was meant to prep to do some accents in this episode. And right now I can't even remember what the fucking accents were. So we're off to a good start. It's a good start, guys. <laughs> you, you know what it's like. It's, uh, it's tough at the top. <laughs> Man, it'd be nice to be at the top. <laughs> what? What's it like up there? It's been a long, hot day at work. Mm -hmm. But not to worry, because we are getting back into our unclassical read, where we can laugh at the idiots and regain some fucking control. Just regain some joy in our lives. <sighs> and anger. Right. Do you remember last time that we left it when Pryor and the Doctor were heading over to Fernley to do a little experiment with Parker? Yes, but I don't remember what this experiment was. I don't think they explained it yet. Okay, well, They were just very much like... Whoa, I, I have some questions about Parker's involvement in the whole fucking and thing. And wasn't Poirot like, I must sit in this ridiculously hot room and drink cocoa. <laughs> and drink cocoa. And uh, what is the British obsession with fresh air? And we were like... It's nice. Um, just, I, I, I know I didn't bring this up last time. I've watched um, like a few like YouTube videos when people are like, you know, weird things since you moved to the UK. Yeah. And a lot of countries think carpets are fucking disgusting. They're just like, they harbour dust and dirt and gross why wouldn't you just not have hard floors that you can clean properly you fucking heinous minging people <laughs> <laughs> that i kind of get and i just yeah. wonder whether fresh air is a similar kind of thing but fresh air's surely cleaner i guess maybe they think it's not they think it's all dirty outside yeah maybe and maybe it's nice to be warm inside if you want to enjoy the fresh air go the fuck outside <laughs> no nah i mean you don't want to smell um uh, stuffy. Uh, stuffy? Yeah. Maybe st stuffy's such an English word. Maybe we only get stuffiness because of our disgusting carpets. Oh, there you go. There you so go. they need the there fresh air because they have the gross carpets. But if you didn't have a carpeted floor, mm. I'd, I'd still want a rug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And socks. Uh, well, so socks are a bit different because they do go in the wash. They don't just live on your floor. That's true. Right? Yeah, right, right, right. That's true. Maybe carpets are a bit gross. Looks I at think... carpet. Ugh. Carpets are a bit gross. Yeah. They definitely mm. are. But it's a bit cold just to have hard floors. It, I wouldn't mind having hard floors, but I would want a rug. Mm, and I suppose you could wash the rug. Anyway, it's rugs another are interior design channel. Oh my god, we so should have had a sponsor of rugs. If you need a rug. <laughs> you need a rug. If you don't want to have disgusting carpets, but <laughs> I'll tell you, you want what, warm feet. If this has inspired you to want a rug, send us a tenner, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Well, send us a tenner and we'll give you advice on what rug would suit your house. Oh, yeah. I'm fucking well good at picking out soft furnishings. So. Oh, you can help me pick a sofa. Oh, I can. I'm very good at it. Anyway, so um, they're off to Fernley. And they get oh, they there. they to get a rug? No. What is even the point? <laughs> so they get there and Flora's there and they tell Flora they're going to do this bullshit experiment with Parker and they're literally like, it's bullshit. Like, because um, we're going to see like what else he reveals by doing it. Yeah. Um, To see if he's telling the truth about what what went on that night. So they tell Parker um that to imagine that Blunt is on the terrace outside and they want to see if Blunt really could overhear Flora talking to Parker that night or whether the voices really wouldn't carry. Yeah. So um, they ask basically Parker and Flora to reenact what happened that night. Um, so obviously, you know, Flora said that she saw her uncle and then told Parker to, to fuck 
off. You've been told like four times to leave him alone. Surely. Parker is clingy as fuck. <laughs> yeah. So um, they tell Parker to set up as he was. So Parker returns with his tray exactly like he had it the night he intercepted Flora. And they recreate their chat and um, then head off in their different re- um, directions and return asking, was that okay? Was that what you wanted? Sorry. Is Flora not like a little bit like... Well, it's a little bit traumatic having to relive the moment of my uncle's death like, no, but two right. days later. No, but right? They're just literally like, oh, Flora, do you mind recreating it? And she's like, what fun? <laughs> like, she doesn't say what fun, but that is the vibe. Is, like, I'm guessing this isn't the point in it, but like, if that if I were par and I'd be like, that's fucking sus as yeah, shit. Yeah, like, literally. I mean, Blunt did say before, like... Okay, um, but Blunt. Hey, it was a bit blunt. Um, blunt did say before, like, oh, you hadn't known your uncle that long. But it'd been like two years, I swear, in the grand two scheme years of things. Is a fucking long time. Yeah, literally. And um, your uncle was a bit of a dick. Um, but still, sus. Fucking sus. Fucking sus. I guess we could just conclude that everyone's a dick in this. So, um, yeah, Poirot beams and he's like, oh, you ordered excellently. And um, he asks Parker if he had two glasses on the tray that night as well, because he's got two glasses now. And um, Ooh, mm, Poirot's clever. Mm, and Parker's like, I always bring two glasses. Oh, sorry, he's Phil Mitchell. I always bring two glasses. <laughs> Man loves a drink. No. And this I'm always why... hoping he'll invite me to join. That's why I come back so often. I just wanted him to care. <laughs> so they dismiss Parker like, you've done very well. And Poirot asks Flora to verify whether there were two glasses on the tray. And she tries to remember and she's like, yeah, I think there was. Um, yeah, yeah, I think there were two glasses. And Poirot is like, brilliant. Um, and he like dismisses her really condescending, like, oh, you did such a good world, uh, good job. Papa Poirot is very pleased. Why is he disgusting? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, can you fucking imagine if, if like, a detective that you'd hired was like, don't worry, Papa Poirot's got it in hand. You'd be like, uh, you're out of a job, mate. Get the fuck out of my house fuck off my land yeah like you need to go and actually stop being alive yes so the doctor is like um so they've left now and the poirot and doctor (laughs) the poirot are walking back to the village and the doctor's like what was all that about the glasses and poirot says well um, obviously he was seeing if he knew he had a guest wasn't he doctor right um no poirot's like oh one must say something almost to like you know justify the actions and uh, the question about the glasses it was as uh, good as any other oh it was a red herring and the doctor is like the fuck is wrong with you (laughs) you're so crazy like why are you so fucking weak you just solved the crime and prara is like at any rate my friend i now know something that i wanted to know let us leave it at that so could they hear him hear them out on the terrace we don't know what the experiment was to ascertain i thought it was oh they told him that blunt wasn't out on the terrace um listening and that was not it that's just what they told um told parker um Mm. they all think it was to see to find something out about parker that night see if he was telling the truth about something but we don't know what yet better sunk to do flora bears do the fact she didn't give a fuck about reenacting what should have been a traumatic <laughs> yeah, event literally. you're just buzzing like i want to be involved <laughs> i always wanted to be an actress Good <laughs> fuck off, flora. <laughs> um oh my god yeah i'm going to skip the whole next chapter because the next chapter is just dr shepherd and his sister playing mahjong um, with some of their mates and they're just like really snippy at each other and they're kind of addicted to one of their mates and criticise her for being shit at Mahjong and that is literally the whole chapter and you kind of think like oh maybe there's like some subplot like throwing suspicion against people but it's just a fucking waste of time and I can't be fucking bothered so sounds great uh, Mahjong 
Caroline and the Doctor are really competitive, Caroline more so, and kind of cunts. Um, Sounds about right. There we go. So, um, the only... And all their friends are like, I didn't want to have to come over to your weird incest party. <laughs> yeah, fucking grosser. The only important gossip, gossip themes that do come up are that Ursula keeps herself to herself and won't talk about herself or her past from the Ursula, yeah. the Ursula. creepy Ursula. Yeah. The... And then lovely little Elsie. A little Elsie Days or Dale. I think it's Elsie Dale. Just nice. Like, oh, you know, I'm just simple. I don't know too much. I don't know much. They actually talk about Elsie because she's boring. No. Um, I do imagine um, Ursula to look like the fucking ring girl. <laughs> but with like, her hair like pinned Blank. back a little bit. Um, also, now that the whole murder and everything's gone down, Ursula can't stop crying. And that's something that's, that's, that's been noted. Um, and... I think, I think, here's my theory, right? Mm-hmm. I think Flora done it, mm. but because Ursula is actually Flora's secret twin sister, Fauna. <gasps> there you go. It's all going to come together. It's all going to come out. The other theme that comes up is that Caroline categorically believes that Flora does not love Ralph Patton in the slightest and never has. And the doctor, okay, this is one thing. The doctor also tells the party because they're all kind of like, what's this party doing? Why are you working so close to the party? I bet you don't know the party. I the bet party. you don't know shit. And uh, the doctor's like, if I don't know shit, well, how come the fuck we found a ring? And Poirot found it in the pond. It's got a fucking R on it. Maybe I've said too much. <laughs> Perhaps I've said Poirot at the window. You have said too much. <laughs> like, shit. Um, I mean, nothing. <laughs> so the next day, doctor, the doctor goes to see Poirot. And Poirot says that Parker should be arriving shortly. And they're going to shit him up until he reveals the truth. I don't Gosh. know why Poirot's gone um, Scottish. Probably, you know. It's just how he gets in character. To, just literally. When he has to play bad cop, you know. <laughs> so um, Parker <laughs> arrives. And Poirot is pretty much like blackmailing, do you? Oh. <laughs> but in a French like blackmailing do you and Poirot reveals that he has found out that he knows that Parker's previous employer killed a guy in Bermuda and um, when Parker was with him and that Parker totally knew but oh, that fucking escalated <laughs> the doctor they're like <sighs> <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't calling for that one. Parker with his bulging muscles, like, how would you figure it out then, Doc? <laughs> how would you figure that one out then, Poirot? That's it, um, Poirot, not Doc. <laughs> and Poirot asks if Major Ellaby, that's um, Parker's previous employer, had paid for Parker's discretion and kept paying Parker until Major Ellaby eventually died. And therefore, Parker might be rather used to the old blackmail game. And Parker, well, he crumbles like a water biscuit under cold butter. Oh no! <laughs> That's great. I know, right? <laughs> they do, they do crumble. They, they do. do. Cold butter. They just can't Yay! stand up to it. Well, it was and... the coldest of butters. <laughs> the coldest cut of butter. Parker <laughs> <laughs> is the crumbliest cookie. <laughs> so yeah, Parker's like, um, I never hurt Roger. I never. But I overheard the word blackmail and thought, oh, that's a bit of me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I was so keen on uh, eavesdropping that night, in case I heard something to my advantage. However, all I had was blackmail, so it was a bit of a fucking waste of time. A bit of a waste of time, so I drank the whiskey and all I went. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, he, um, Parker didn't know enough to do any blackmailing anyway, and he only heard at, about the blackmailing I didn't that do it. Night. I was just listening in in the hopes that I might. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, because that so, doesn't make you sound sketchy at all, Phil Mitchell. So to verify, Poirot asked to see Parker's bank book, 
which he happens to have on him. Which is a bank book. So when you'd like pay money or checks into the bank back then, you'd make a note of it in your bank book. So it's basically like seeing your bank account, but it would be Mm. like a a book because uh, digital banking ain't a thing. What a mad time to live in. I know, right? Crazy, crazy. Imagine just not being able to transfer your mate a tenner for dinner. Oh, fucking hell. Hey, you transferred me yet? Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, it all seems to be in order. Um, Parker's not had any weird, like, money coming in recently that would have been supposedly from Roger from um, blackmailing shit. Well, you wouldn't fucking write that in your book, would you? He'd have to if he was going to pay it to his account. Because he's... Well, you'd make it look better, wouldn't you? You'd like be like, oh, yes, the laundry bill that I do. <laughs> like, if you can physically write it in, you'd I lie. the bank, the bank writes it in. Well, then, I'm just, I just feel you can get away with lies when it's all handwritten a lot easier. They must have offshore bank accounts back then. Everyone. Like... I mean, they are Tories, after all. They are Tories. Way. So Poirot dismisses Parker now, anyway, and says that um, he'll go talk to Mr. Hammond, the family solicitor, to make sure that Roger wasn't paying him out any money. Um, so That's the thing, like, also, how do they know he's, they've got his real book and he doesn't have a decoy book? Yeah, literally. Mm. Like, look, this one's all good, because my real one has all the secrets in it. <laughs> yeah, and conveniently, I brought my fake one while coming to talk to the detective. <laughs> Damn it, he <laughs> filed us. You know what? Parker's a genius. <laughs> so they head over. Uh, this is Pryro and Doctor. Uh, and Doctor. Pryro and the Doctor. Doctor. Pryro and the Doctor. Anyway, they head over to Hammond, who's the family solicitor. And the Doctor confesses that um, he told everybody last night at the Mahjong party about the ring. And is like, It's you? I never told you to keep it secret. Uh, did they have many theories? Just like pissing, like, Oh, let's see what they thought. And um, the Doctor's like, oh, They did. Um, yet so simple, the true explanation leapt to the eye, did it not? And the doctor's like, no, I don't fucking know who the ring belongs to. Yeah. Like, what? You know who the ring belongs to? And Pryor laughed. He's like, ah, the wise man does not commit himself. Is that not so? But here we are at Mr. Hammond's. You're like, who the fuck does the ring belong to? <laughs> like, Pryor, you were infuriated. I know. Pryor, you're so cryptic. Oh, you cryptic. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. I think Poirot done it. <laughs> he was the he was the people in the trench coat trench coat. Oh, he and was. he was on top of a marrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the doctor thought the trench coat person looked familiar. It was a fucking marrow. It was a marrow with a moustache on it, <laughs> and so, Poirot was just the legs sticking out the end. Like, so Mr. Hammond uh, was also Mrs. Farrar's solicitor. A small village, you know, there's only so yeah. many solicitors. So the doctor tells him about the blackmail conversation and Poirot asks if the solicitor is surprised. Now, let me find me page a minute. Don't be so impatient, everybody. I, got I can't wait. I can't wait. So he's like, yeah, did you hear about that? Oh, yeah, he's like, are you surprised about the whole blackmail thing? Uh, this is um, Mr. Hammond talking. No, he replied. I can hardly say that I am surprised. I've suspected something of the kind for some time. Uh, That brings us, said Poirot, to the information for which I am asking. If anyone can give us an idea of the actual sums paid, you are the man, monsieur. I see no object in withholding such information, said Hammond, after a moment or two. During the past year, Mrs. Farrar's has sold out certain securities, and the money for them was paid into her account and not reinvested. 
As her income was a large one and she lived very quietly after her husband's death, it seems certain that these sums of money were paid away for some special purpose. I once sounded her on the subject and she said that she was obliged to support several of her husband's poor relations. I let the matter drop, of course. Until now, I have always imagined that the money was paid to some woman who had a claim on Ashley Farrars, her late husband. I never dreamed that Mrs Farrars herself was involved. And uh, the amount? asked Poirot. In all, I should say the various sums totaled at least uh, £20,000. Oh. That is a fucking lot. That's what Flora's just inherited. Yeah. It's fucking made for life. £20,000? I exclaimed. That's the doctor. Yeah. In one year? Mrs. Ferraz was a very wealthy woman, said Poirot. That's mad. And the penalty for murder is not a pleasant one. So here mm. I have to reiterate. Hanging is still in full force. If mm. someone gets caught for murder, they are getting hung. So, the fucking death penalty is bullshit. I know, right? Murder's wrong, so we'll kill you to prove it's wrong. <laughs> Sounds like logic to me. Don't you just love it? I mean, obviously, capital punishment isn't a thing in the UK anymore, but mm-hmm. still. So, now Poirot's kind of thinking, okay, so it's not Parker that did the blackmailing. Maybe it was Blunt. Like, Blunt was around on the scene. Mm. He, you know, is maybe run into financial difficulties. Maybe he's a blackmailer. But also, there is a possibility that Ackroyd himself might have disposed of the blue letter in the fire after he read it. Maybe he didn't like what he read and he wanted to get rid of it. Maybe he was the blackmailer all along. So, um, more meal planning bullshit. What the fuck does meal planning bullshit mean, Passmaster? I didn't know you wrote it. I didn't know. Meal planning. Um... What meals are they planning? <laughs> it's meal planning bullshit. Um, we had just arrived at my house, and on the spur of the moment, I invited Priory to come in and take potluck. I thought Caroline would be pleased with me, but it's hard to satisfy satisfy one's women folk. Yeah. It appears that we were eating chops for lunch. The kitchen staff being regaled on tripe and onions, and two chops set before three people are productive of embarrassment. Why? Can't you double check before you come for and a meal? And why do you have to be so indignant? Like, oh, I thought it'd be okay if I brought my friend home. And it's like, it Did would you not be. learn from Miss Russell at the start of the book? Why do... And also, that it would just make such a fucking awkward scene, wouldn't it? You'd be like, of course it's fine for you to bring your friend, but you have to fucking let me know. I'm fucking cut for them. But, but Caroline them. is seldom daunted for long. With magnificent mendacity, she explained to Praro that although James laughed at her for doing so, she adhered strictly to a vegetarian diet. She discounted ecstatically on the delights of nut cutlets, which I am quite sure she has never tasted, and ate a Welsh rarebit with gusto and frequent cutting remarks as to the dangers of flesh foods. She's being nice. Yeah. He's like, fucking Caroline being vegetarian. No, you've invited your mate. You've made it well fucking awkward. So she's covered your fucking ass. Yeah. So yeah, before that, Pryor was like, I don't know, maybe Ackroyd got rid of the letter himself. Maybe Blunt did it. Shall I come for lunch? <laughs> the doctor was like, Shall we lunch? <laughs> Lunch? Lunch? <laughs> all that night, I'm rather peckish. <laughs> We've got for lunch, my sister's vegetarian. So after lunch, Caroline reveals that she saw Poirot heading back from Cranchester yesterday and asks if he's found Ralph in Cranchester. And Poirot chuckles and he's like, no, it was a dentist appointment. <laughs> Why are you obsessed with, with Cranchester? <laughs> Why is that? That's in there. I know I'm investigating a crime, but you know, I, I do have like general things I'm doing for myself as well. No, only the crime. Any crime. So the doctor says. Also, don't believe you. Mm, did. Poirot done it. 
I won't done it. <laughs> just there, like, as she just looks up at him, like, sus. <laughs> I mean, I'm Caroline telling you, Caroline's going to sort of blow this whole thing wide open. <laughs> so the doctor starts saying that Ralph has a weak nature, and Caroline right. is like, yes, like you, James. <laughs> weak as water, if I wasn't around to look after you. Like a water cracker. <laughs> Under cold butter. You've been hanging out with them, Parker. Anyway, um, so Caroline um, goes on to say that the only people who could have feasibly um, killed Roger would have been Flora or Ralph. And she doesn't think it's Ralph, so Flora looks suspicious. Only um, she's saying her uncle was alive when she last saw him. In... Well, she would, wouldn't she? Well, yeah, literally. Like, and, <laughs> well, if she's making herself an alibi. I saw him when alibi. he was alive, and by the time I left, he was dead. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no, it's not very good alibi, though, is it? <laughs> Dang it! This oh, so now that Poirot is kind of talking about, it could have been Ralph, but yeah, it's not the Ralph that you knew. Like it would be quite exemplary circumstances for him to commit such crime. Yeah. Let us take a man, a very ordinary man, <laughs> <laughs> a man with no idea of murder in his heart. There is in him somewhere a strain of weakness deep down. It has so far never been called Sorry, into play. Sorry, I need to interrupt for a moment. Yeah. Are we just fucking going to defend all men who are murdered and be like, yeah. it's just a weakness they have. They didn't mean you. Like, Katie, they felt, fucking bin. you know, emasculated. They need to stab someone in the back of the neck to feel like a man. And well, when you put it like that, it's totally fine. Let's go. <laughs> Perhaps it never will be. And if so, he will go to his grave honoured and respected by everyone. But let us suppose that something occurs. He is in difficulties, or perhaps not that even. He may stumble by accident on a secret. A stumble on accident by a knife. Wait, I, I said that wrong. Stumble on accident by a knife. Stabbances. <laughs> He's fucking stabbances. A secret involving life or death to someone. And his first impulse will be to speak out, to do his duty as an honest citizen. And then the strain of weakness tells. Here is a chance of money. A great amount of money. He wants money. He desires it. And it is so easy. He has nothing to do for it. Just keep silence. Just keep silence. That is the beginning. The desire for money grows. He must have more and more. He is intoxicated by the gold mine which is opened at his feet. He becomes greedy, and in his greed he overreaches himself. One can press a man as far as one likes, but with a woman, one must not press too far. For a woman has at heart a great desire to speak the truth. How many husbands who have deceived their wives go comfortably to their graves, carrying <laughs> their secret with them? How many wives who have deceived their husbands wreck their lives by throwing the fact in those same husbands' teeth? They have been pressed in a reckless moment which they will ha afterwards regret bien entendu he flings safety to the winds and turn at bay proclaiming the truth with great momentary satisfaction to themselves so it was I think in this case the strain was too great and so there came your proverb the death of the goose that laid the golden eggs that is not the end Exposure faced the man of whom we are speaking, and he is not the same man he was, say, a year ago. His moral fibre is blunted. blunted. He is desperate. He is fighting a losing battle, and he is prepared to take any means that come to his hand for exposure, means to ruin him. And so, the dagger strikes. So, so that reminds me of like all those fucking like 
school shooter crap and things you see. Uh. Where it's like, he was a lone wolf with mental health issues. You can't be too angry at him. He was never loved by his mummy. He got bullied at school. And the girls didn't go to prom with him. So like, really, we should feel very sorry like, for the criminal. Like, no, he's a fucking creep. He's a ergo, fucking he shot murderer. Like, but surely that is, that's what it sounds like. It's like the, hmm. making the excuses for the men. Yeah. Like, he might have had a lot going on, Katie. Fucking hell, cut him some slack. Look, um, what we're saying is he was actually quite a nice guy and then he just got distracted by money and did a little bit of stabbing to It's also you? like the thing of like, it can't mean Ralph, he's a really nice guy. Like, nice guys are murderers too. 100%. But yeah, to sort of like making that point, like you do not know anyone. And also, um, see, true. he's just a nice guy that got annoyed one time and killed anyone. You could have done it. Anyone could have. Look, mm. we've all been there with knife at our uncle's <laughs> left and we're like... And he's not even his uncle, stepfather, but they call him uncle sometimes. Oh yeah, with your fatherly figure at your neck, yeah. and you're there at the neck, and it's just there's a neck, there's a neck, and you think about it, but you don't, and that's exactly. the point. That is the difference. So um, he was silent for a moment. It was as though he laid a spell upon the room. I cannot try to describe the impression his words produced. There was something in the merciless analysis and the ruthless power of vision which struck fear into both of us. Afterwards. He went on softly. The dagger removed. He will be himself again. Normal, kindly. But if the need again arises, then once more, he will strike. So basically, once a murderer, once you pop, you just can't stop. <laughs> once you pop, you just can't stop. That's a good line for stabbing <laughs> Caroline roused herself at last. You're speaking of rough pattern she said yeah what are you fucking listening yeah you may be right you may not but you have no business to condemn a man unheard the telephone bell rang sharply i went out into the hall and took it off the receiver what i said he's so fucking rude anyway you're <laughs> meant to be a doctor for fuck's yeah. sake what i said yes dr shepherd speaking i listened for a minute or two then replied briefly replacing the receiver i went back into the drawing room poirot i said they have detained a man at Liverpool. His name is Charles Kent, and he is believed to be the stranger who visited Fernley that night. They want me to go to Liverpool at once and identify him. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. Who the fuck is Charles Kent? I swear to God, it fucking ends like, it was a random. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hate it when they do that. Um, so, right, guys. Raglan, Doctor, and Poirot all go off on the train on their way up to Liverpool to talk to this Charles Kent. Remember Raglan? He's like the leader. That's about Yeah. So who, who is he again? He's like the lead inspector now. They oh, had like yes. the first one who I've forgotten the name of who was like, I think Parker did it and Raglan showed like, stupid man. He was like, oh, stupid, no. stupid, stupid man. Like, I'm trying to fucking help. <laughs> so, get out, get out. Uh, so get out. I'm going to have a sip of wine, everyone. Before uh, we head up to Liverpool. Have you ever been to Liverpool? Yes. I haven't. No. Is it nice? It's all right. It's a uh, port town. Oh, so really? you've got the port there and... Um, uh, Islands just there, so you used to get a lot of people coming over to get abortions. It's a lovely it's, piece of history. It's a nice, you know, short cross in that one, and you can't get, um, well, maybe they're a bit easier now, but um, you couldn't get abortions in Ireland or the contraceptive pills. So you come over to get uh. your contraception. I used to know someone who um, moved to Ireland when she was like 14, and her brother was older, so he stayed in England. And um, by the time she started having the sex, he would have to post her contraceptive pills. It's fucking bullshit, isn't it? Fucking bullshit, is that? Isn't it weird, though, how there's so many rules about, like, yeah, certain places you can't have the contraceptive pill, you can't have an abortion and everything, mm. but there is no shade on men for having sex. Yeah, fuck all of them. Fuck all of them. Like, 
if you turned around, so all those like people who are trying to ban abortions, be like, okay, so no sex then. Yeah. No sex is completely off the table. We will never, ever, ever do that again mm. unless we literally want to make a baby. Yeah. How fast would they fucking crumble or turn to rape? Yeah. Oh, turn to rape. Yeah. Or make it law that, you know, because, you know, until like 1991, it was legal in the Catholic Church for a husband to rape oh, his 100%, wife. Oh, 100%, yeah. So they yeah. would just be like, well, sure, but you have to get married and then, you know, your wife is obligated to give her body to you. She doesn't I hate have a right. men. <laughs> they fucking I hate sucks. them. It's the kind of thing that when you repeat it, you're like, well, come on, that can't be a thing. You're like, well, it fucking was a thing, slash is a thing, so... And they're trying to fucking bring it all back. Bring it all back to you. Yeah, bring it all back to rape. <laughs> uh... Bring it all back to oppression. Yeah. The white men like it when we're all oppressed. Well. They're on their way up to Liverpool. So did, on the did you call the one? <laughs> yeah. So on the journey, Raglan says um, he found out that the fingerprints on the Dagger Hill are, in fact, Ackroyd's own fingerprints. And he naturally had thought of the same idea himself, but um, oh, had dismissed it. Naturally, naturally, naturally. Oh, fuck off. So um, they get up to Liverpool, and Superintendent Hayes is the one who's running the show. And he's worked with Pryor before. And the Doctor currently isn't that impressed with Pryor. He thinks he's full of shit. Yeah. And um, so the Superintendent's all like, um, oh, you know, Pryor is here. It'll be done in a minute. He's probably already got it all figured out. And the doctor's like, sure. Yeah, he all seems to have his head screwed on. He's throwing a marrow again. <laughs> yeah. So they're taken through to interview Charles Ken. And um, he's in his early 20s. He looks tall, strong, and has shaking hands. Co-kid. Do you remember? We think the stranger oh, yeah. is on the drugs because they found a quill. And not, what, they didn't even think they were on the snorty drugs. They were like, mm, heroin. <laughs> heroin. Heroin. Ah, uh, yes, that classically snorty snort drug. <laughs> okay. So right. um, Charles Kent is generally quite defiant and not giving much away. And um, they, he has heard that Roger was murdered. And he thinks that they're trying to pin Roger's murder on him. And he's like, I'm not giving you shit. He was like, I didn't do it. But because I'm a stranger in the parts, you're trying to make it look like I did it. I fucking didn't. So fuck the lot of you. Yeah. Bunch of dicks. Oh yeah, this is um, Charles Kent talking. So, oh, and he's slightly American. So that's it, is it? I saw an old gent had been croaked at Fernley, trying to make out I did the job, are you? Um, you were there that night, said Poirot quietly. How do you know, mister? By this. Poirot took something from his pocket and held it out. It was the goose quill we had found in the summer house. Yes, classically American and snorty heroin. Yeah. At the sight of it, the man's face changed. He half held out his hand. Snow said Poirot thoughtfully. No, my friend, it is empty. It lay where you dropped it in the summer house that night. I don't think he was going to snort it right then and there. Like, oh, give it, give it. Oh, go on, I've got some good stuff in there. Go on. No, it is empty. Oh. It's not, and it's not for you now. It's not for you now, I give it to your leg. It's so weird. It's not for you now. So Charles is like, you seem to know a lot about everything. It is my job. <laughs> but lol, the per the papers say that the murder happened between quarter to ten and ten o'clock. Well, I was in the pub then, causing quite a ruckus, and there's quite a few witnesses. So suck it. Fair mm. enough. And they're like, oh, he's got a fucking point there. He's <laughs> got a point. He's got a fucking point. Shit. So they're like, all right, we'll just get some like general background info on him. I don't fucking know. Um. So yeah, they're asking Charles Kent just generally about his past and um. And because he's got a solid alibi, but it still needs verifying. And so they ask where he's from. And Charles says, I'm a full-blown Britisher. Clearly. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's, it's like, 
I mean, I completely get it. It's annoying when you. <clears throat> it must be really annoying when you've lived somewhere for many, mm. many years. And like, so where are you from? And it's like England, yeah, England, mm-hmm. England. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm English. Yes. Um, but yeah, but still, I feel like in these situations when you clearly have an accent, maybe. And you call yourself a Britisher. A Britisher, yeah. I'm a full-blown Brit. It gets worse. I'm a full-blown Britisher. And Poirot says, "Yes, I think you are. I think you were born in Kent." And then there's an awkward silence. And then Charles Kent is like, because because my name is Ken? (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. You think everyone called Ken is from Ken? (laughs) Why? I love that. I want that to be like in the film version, you know. It's all really serious. Like, do you think everyone called Ken is from Ken? There's like another awkward silence. And Prara says, yes, under certain circumstances. What the fuck is that? <laughs> and Prara just nods proudly and walks out the room. I just want to make where, like, then afterwards, everyone's just sort of looking at each other. And the doctor's like, this fucking guy. Seriously, <laughs> that's the best we could get. Like, what the fuck? And Ken's just there, like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> anyway, what's the guy who was chatting um Poirot's praises? He's just like, oh, I fucking know, man. It's like, weird. Yeah, he's lost his touch, and he? has <laughs> got a little loopy since he got on with the marrow. <laughs> no. So they head back to, to the an key- extent in certain circumstances. <laughs> what? What are you fucking talking about? <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> It's just imagine that moment, like the doctor like looking down at Ken, like, yeah, we got you now, and then like just staring prior, like, I'm sorry, what? You are from Kent. <laughs> just that silence, and the doctor looking at him, uh, Ken, like, yeah, wait, what? Wait, what? You what think fuck? everyone called Kent is from Kent? <laughs> yes. In certain circumstances? What? I leave now. Goodbye. It's so fucking weird. It's like, I didn't, I didn't snort any of that, right? So, he nods proudly and leaves. They head back to Liverpool. The next day, not back to Liverpool, they head back to King's Abbey. That must have been awkward drone. <laughs> like, that was embarrassing. And what about people called Gardner? Do you think they, they're from gardens? Possibly. Okay. Mm. Mm. Right. So, uh, the next day, the doctor sees Raglan walking around and um, Raglan confirms that he's um, confirmed Kent's alibi and it fully checks out that he was in the bar at that but time. was he born in Kent? Or was he born in Kent? They haven't found that out. Um, and um, so he was in the bar before Raymond overheard the money conversation at half past nine. So, so my head is still just reading for that fucking conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fever dream. <laughs> playing it like how is this part of Poirot's game and I'm just like she's just actually fucking mental <laughs> I really I really want there to come a point later on where he's like and yes you see how I asked that question and it revealed x y and z and I'm just like Oh, you wait. Um, so um, yeah he was at the pub when Raymond overheard the money conversation um, let alone when Flora last saw her uncle alive so it's obviously not him and he also had lots of cash when he went to the pub so um, Raglan thinks that it was um, Kent that stole the 40 quid from upstairs oh yeah um, so yeah uh, now they're chatting about Poirot and Raglan's like I think he's 
fucking losing the plot. Yeah. What was that fucking Ken thing about? That's fucking weird. <laughs> and he's like, it must run in the family because he's got a nephew that's quite off his crumpet. And, um, I love the British. He's <laughs> quite off his crumpet. Quite off his crumpet. Um, I realised before I said I wanted to do Raglan Scottish, but quite off his crumpet. Oh, it actually kind of works. Quite off his crumpet. He's got a nephew. Quite off his crumpet. Um, I love it. Anyway, um, and the doctor's like, does he? How do you know that? And he's like, I'm talking to your sister. <laughs> why, is Ed, why is Caroline not running this entire thing? I know, and he's, she's like, oh, Caroline's got the lowdown on her pyro. She knows. She uh, knows. And uh, like, ooh, go on, Par- go on, Caroline, you got it. Go on, Caroline, um, girl. And so the doctor and Raglan head over to Poirot's to tell him that Kent's alibi checks out. And that he wasn't born in Kent. <laughs> yeah. And Poirot tells the inspector that they shouldn't release Kent just yet. And this is why the law has now changed and you can't hold someone for more than 24 hours without a charge. Otherwise you get some weird prejudiced Belgian guy who's not even a police employee, you may point out, just being like, no. He is from Kent. <laughs> I do not believe it. The man is from Kent. <laughs> it's just deciding your fate with fucking nothing to go on. So I will um, not let you out until you admit you were born in Kent. But I'm American. <laughs> I'm a Britisher. <laughs> I'm a Britisher and I'm not born in Kent. No. No. You are from Kent. <laughs> your name is Kent. It is it is agreed. And the inspector's like, look, it can't be him. Um, look, we all agree, can we all just universally agree that Aykroyd was alive at quarter to ten? And Poirot's like, no, that has not been proved. I do not always believe what the young lady tells me, not even when she is charming and beautiful. Ah! <laughs> Get in the bin, Get straight in the bin. And, the, oh. but, and also just, why? so you believe everything it... Um... So normally you would believe everything of a woman's beautiful and charming and young and whatnot. Oh, but, of course, of course, of course, of course. But, but, you know, because he's poor, he's like, even when they're half my age and sexy, oh, I still think I'm interested. Oh, I have a little bit of suspicion. Uh, I do not even, not even when she is charming and beautiful. But hang it all, man. Parker saw her coming out of the door. That's Raggedon. No. Poirot's voice rang out with a sudden sharpness. Oh, sorry. No. No. <laughs> um, that no? is just what he did not see. I satisfied myself with that little experiment the other day, you remember, Doctor. Parker ah. saw her outside the door. So when Parker, they did the experiment, Flora was already standing at the door with her hand on the handle. And Parker came along. He's like, yep, yeah, that's how I saw her. And he never saw her coming out of the door. Uh, with her hand on the handle, he did not see her coming out of the room. But where else could she have been? Perhaps on the stairs. The stairs? Yes, that is my little idea. But those stairs only lead to Mr. Ackroyd's bedroom. Precisely. And still the inspector stared. You would think she'd been up to her uncle's bedroom. Well, why not? Why, why would she lie about it? That is just the question. It depends on what she was doing there, does it not? You mean the money? Mm. Hang it all. You don't suggest that it was Miss Ackroyd or took the £40? I suggest nothing, said Poirot. But I will remind you of this. Life was not very easy for that mother and daughter. There were bills. There was constant trouble over small sums of money. Roger Ackroyd was a peculiar man over money matters. The girl might be at her wit's end for a comparatively small sum. Think to yourself, then, what happens? She has taken the money, she descends the little staircase. When she is halfway down, she hears the chink of a glass from the hall. She has no doubt of what it is. Parker coming to the study. At all costs, she must not be found on the stairs. Parker will not forget. He will think it odd. 
If the money is missed, Parker is sure to remember having seen her come down those very stairs. Why doesn't she run back upstairs and hide in his room? Maybe it'll be loud at that point and he'll see her going up the stairs. He's literally right there and she's on the bottom step. Mm. She has just time to rush down to the study door with her hand on the handle. No, it does kind of sound like she could have gone upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> with her Sounds hand to on me the... like she's an idiot. Uh, or that... you're full of shit, Poirot. <laughs> with her hand on the handle to show that she has just come out when Parker appears in the doorway. She says the first thing that comes into her head, a repetition of Roger Ackroyd's orders earlier in the evening, and that goes upstairs to her own room. Yes, but later... I'm not doing it Scottish. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, later, later, persisted the inspector. She must have realised the vital importance of speaking the truth. Good job. <laughs> Why? The whole case hinges on it. You're so angry. <laughs> Thing is, it's like, you can't do a Scottish accent without a bit of menace. Haggling. <laughs> Haggling. The whole and case hinges on it. The whole case. Whereas you can't do a Welsh accent without being a little darling. A little soft. Imagine trying to be angry with a Welsh accent. Ooh. It just doesn't. Can you imagine, like, ah, yes, I'm going to rip your fucking nose off, you <laughs> damn fuzzy cunt. Slap you right in the mouth. I'll slap you right in the mouth. <laughs> just like, oh, thank you. a bit you. Irish then. Right in the mouth. Right in the mouth. I had to go Irish anyway, it would work. <laughs> right in the mouth. Yeah, you just um, can't do it in a Scottish accent, they're too nice. I mean, Welsh accent, they're too nice. <laughs> Scottish, Scotland, I'll smack you right in the mouth. Right in the mouth. Oh, sorry, I was going to make a prior very posh then. Afterwards, said Poirot. What the fuck was that? Afterwards. Afterwards. I I'm actually from Kent. <laughs> I just went to the friend. Afterwards. You're from Kent too. Do you like, know what's that, that mate? Afterwards is a hard one to say in a French accent. Afterwards. 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 After, after the woods. Um, said, <laughs> you go down to the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Poirot dryly. It was a little difficult for Mademoiselle Flora. She is told simply that the police are here and that there has been a robbery. Naturally, she jumps to the conclusion that the theft of the money has been discovered. Her one idea is to stick to her story. When she... When she learns that her uncle is dead, she is panic-stricken. Young women do not faint nowadays, monsieur, without considerable prov provocation. A bien. There it is. She is bound to... A beard. <laughs> a beard. Um, Maybe the women don't faint as much because they don't have to wear stupid corsets that literally yeah, cut their that. fucking breath supply. She is bound to stick to her story or else confess everything. And a young and pretty girl does not like to admit that she is a thief. Especially, especially when they're pretty. Yeah. Especially before those who esteem she is anxious to retain. Uh, threw up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, the fact she's pretty has literally fuck all to do with anything he's saying. No, but, um, I mean, like, you know, you might as well look at something nice, mightn't you? <laughs> might as well, you know, if you're going to look at something, might as well. Um, Raglan brought his fist down with a thump on the table. I'll not believe it! I was! <laughs> Why is he so dramatic? Because <laughs> he's raggling and Scottish. I'll not believe it, he said. It's not, it's not credible. It's not credible. And you, you've known this all along. <laughs> we just said it was bullshit. So what do you mean knowing it all along? It was fucking bullshit. The possibility has been in my mind from the first. <laughs> Admitted Poirot. I was always convinced that Mademoiselle Flora was hiding something from us. To satisfy myself, I made the little experiment I told you of. Dr. Shepard accompanied me. 
<laughs> Your chips just sat there like I'm still reading from the Kent thing. That was fucking weird. <laughs> fucking reading. Right, let me find. So um yeah, just to reiterate, again, I know I've reiterated it before, but if Flora gets done for this, you will be hung hanged, sorry. I have a question. Yeah. I mean, are they hanging women? Is that a yeah, thing yeah, at that, that time? If you're done for murder, you'll get hanged. So if she admits that, oh yeah, I lied about seeing my uncle alive at that time because of the money, I'm like, I don't know, Flora, you're getting yourself into some hot water. So I can understand, like, and he's dead, like, so it's not just the fact she doesn't want to admit to being a thief. Yeah. She doesn't want to fucking die. And being hanged is fucking, it's a horrible way to go. Nasty way to go. Nasty way to go. So, yeah. Um, I can't see they make so many, like, they they pretend to make so many excuses for the sweet little women and stuff mm. like oh we could not possibly put her in prison she's just a sweet innocent she's pretty little sweet girl little um so I suppose what I'm trying to get at is that considering all the shit women have to deal with we can at least get away with murder <laughs> literally blame on your period yeah yeah um so yeah you don't want to be getting falsely accused here your life is literally in danger so you can be like yeah I don't want to like you know. Fest something you know yeah. but, you know point the blame at me anyway so they all head over to fernley to have a little chat with flora after this conversation yeah and when they get there blunt is with her and she asks him to stay and it is completely fair enough but when i first read it it really annoyed me because i was like you fucking codependent couple can't fucking do anything on your own yeah. <laughs> but um yeah three men uh show up wanting to question you and there's a chance you'll get accused of murder that's kind of fair enough to ask to have someone with you. Yeah, I, I kind no, of want to witness. You're smothering each other. Leave each other alone. Back off. Um, so, yeah, bl- Blunt is there too. Let's see uh, what's happening. Uh, so this is Priory. Mademoiselle, the other day when we were around the table, I implored you to be frank with me. One does not... T- <laughs> what one does not tell to Papa Poirot, you found out. Oh, no. What? <laughs> it, it, it was that, was it not? See, I will make it easy for you. You took the money, did you not? Ooh. Um, gross. Also, <laughs> just, just putting fucking words in her mouth. I'm saying this would not fly in a court of law today. It fucking wouldn't. It'd be entrapment, if that's what entrapment means. <laughs> it would be leading questions yeah. and mean. And cruel. The money, said Blunt sharply. There was a silence which lasted for at least a minute. How weird. And the floor drew herself up and spoke. Seeing as no one's going to take the rap for me. Rap? Rap? Going to take the rap for me. <laughs> Can you imagine just standing there for a full minute? It's <laughs> like, awkward. Probably like, I've got nowhere to be. <laughs> just like everyone looking at, I, I really want to, every single book we do, I'm like, I want to make a, play, a stage production of it. But can you just imagine the moment? Like, have you seen The 39 Steps? No, you're just gonna. I don't remember. I don't remember it. So it's very kind of slapstick. And yeah. Like a kind of like I want a moment where you know it's like the money, and then for a full minute everyone's just eyeballing everyone else. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and Prior is like, not Prior. Sorry, Florence is just like me. Okay, I've, fucking hell, fucking hell, I'll line yeah. up. And after um, a little while, it kind of gets to the point of being like, is it your line? It's my line. It's your line. It's your line. And then Flora drew herself up and spoke. Mister Poirot is right. I took that money. <gasps> I stole. I am a thief. Yes! A common, vulgar little thief. Okay, I kind of feel like she's vibing off it now. I mean, common, vulgar. Call me dirty, <laughs> Yes! Bank me! Discipline me! Vulgar little thief. Now you know. 
I am glad it has come out. It's been a nightmare these last few days. She sat down suddenly. You're living with your grief for your dead uncle. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I just felt really bad. Why is she Tilly? I know. Again, I'm sure everyone knows, but when we say why she's why is she Tilly, we're talking about our parents' dog, who is literally like this. <laughs> How to describe Tilly for any new listeners? Princess. Regina George. Regina but, George. But nicer. <laughs> <laughs> but cuddly. But the thing is, Regina, it's not like with Regina George where everyone actually hates her. Everyone really does love her. She's very lovely. She is lovely. But she knows she's the best thing in the world and she's not. she doesn't want to hide it. She is not ashamed of no, it. No, it's like, well, I'm Tilly and I'm wonderful. That is Tilly. <laughs> she posted a picture of her. <laughs> she sat down suddenly and buried her face in her hands. She spoke huskily through her fingers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Randall in a, in a wig. You don't know what my life... Um, you don't know what my life has been since I came here. Wanting things, scheming for them. Sorry, how shit is that? Since I came here, I wanted shit. I couldn't afford it. Fucking suck a Such dick. Such fucking posh girl. <laughs> yeah, scheming. I wanted a new dress and I couldn't... And my uncle wouldn't even buy it for me. Such a scheme for them. Lying, cheating, running up bills, promising to pay. Oh, I hate myself when I think of it all. That's what she brought... is Tilly. Mm. That's what brought us together. Ralph and I, we were both weak. I understood him and I was sorry because I'm the same underneath. We're not strong enough to stand alone. Either of us were weak, miserable, despicable things. Sounds like a fucking vibe. Yeah. Um, she looked at Blunt and suddenly stamped her foot. She is Tilly. Why is she <laughs> such a madam? Why do you look at me like that? As though you couldn't believe. I may be a thief, but at any rate, I'm real now. I'm not lying anymore. I'm not pretending to be the kind of girl you like. Young and innocent and simple. Gross. Disgusting. And he's fucking old as well. No. Uh, put no. him in the bin. I don't care if you never want to see me again. I hate myself. Despise myself. But you've got to believe one thing. If speaking the truth would have made things better for Ralph, I would have spoken out. But I've seen all along that it wouldn't be better for Ralph. It makes the case against him even blacker than ever. I was not doing him any harm by sticking to my lie. Ralph, said Blunt. I see. Always Ralph. You don't understand, said Flora hopelessly. You never will, she turned to the inspector. I admit everything. I was at my wit's end for money. I never saw my uncle that evening after he left the dinner table. As for the money, you could take what steps you please. Nothing could be worse than it is now. Suddenly she broke down again, hid her face in her hands and rushed from the room. <laughs> well, said the inspector Raglan in a flat tone. That's the end of that. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so Blunt then steps forward and he's like, Miss Flora is rather overcome and mistaken. I took the money. I needed it. And Flora is covering for me. And Poirot's like, no, 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 no. No, Papa Poirot sees through you. Oh, you're not the old man. Uh, no, uh, she stole it, but nice thinking. You love her, that much is clear. And she is very, very loyal, that one. But it is not Ralph Patton she loves. And the doctor interjects, My sister says the same. Caroline thinks she never cared tuppence for Ralph. And they're all like, Who the fuck are you? I'm sorry, why are you here instead of Caroline? <laughs> they literally just ignore him. They're like, cool. 
Anyway. Okay. Um, and then Blunt says, I've been every kind of a fool, said Blunt abruptly. Rum conversation we've been having, like one of those Danish plays. But you're a sound fellow, Mr. Poirot. Thank you. So um, he shakes Poirot's hand very firmly and heads out after Flora now that he knows that he thinks that she might love him. And Poirot says, Not every kind of a fool, murmured Poirot tenderly, nursing the injured member. Oh, his hand. I was like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> Casually wanking off, like, yeah, it's not cool. Like, um, uh, Just the dog like, oh! And they judge me. <laughs> and they thought I was the fucking weird one. Um, not, ev- not every kind of a fool. Only one kind. The fool in love. Where's the <laughs> fucking Tom Jones lyric? Oh, I'm a fool. <laughs> He's clearly an Agatha Christie fan. Um, so, um, now Raglan is like, okay, so all the work I've done up till now is fucking worthless. Like, everyone's alibis are dog shit because the timelines are completely fucking off. Brilliant, fucking great. Like, that is very frustrating. Like, and you have suspected this the whole fucking time? Yeah, oh, literally. Dude, you suck! I fucking, I'm fucking. going to stab you. Where's the dagger? Where's the dagger? I'm going to be stabbing this now. And then the doctor's like, um, shit, sorry guys, I've got to go. I've got morning surgery. So he runs off to see his patients. You've just been sat there for the last hour. So didn't you go to fucking Liverpool this morning? Yesterday. Okay. But yeah, he did. Uh, on the train. It's going to be a little he's also He's been there, like, hanging out at Parry for, like, a few days now. His patient... Oh, his pa- his waiting room's going to look like a waiting room does today. His patients might be losing their... <laughs> Uh, sorry, I got so excited. I like we both burped then. No, oh, I didn't even hear you. Oh, hold on. Um, so after the surgery, the doctor is in his workshop fixing some clocks. Do you remember when they like set the clocks on the Friday night or something? They all wound the clocks. Oh yeah. Just fucking lost clocks. Anyway, um, why when... is he your mum? <laughs> Does our mum love clocks? She has a clock that needs winding like every five minutes. I swear. She does love clocks. If anyone can hear that, um, it's a helicopter. Um, Not a lot we can do about that. Ain't a lot we can do about that. Go around. Go around. Go around. <laughs> no, around. Around. God, so fucking selfish. Anyway, um, so yeah, he's fixing his clock thing when Caroline announces that Poirot wants to see him. Uh, the doctor's a bit frustrated because um, when she came in, he's like, dropped something fiddly. But it's like, of course, in here. And Caroline's in here. And he's like, that's why I said here. <laughs> Sorry, when does Caroline become your fucking servant? I know. And then Poirot comes in and he's interested in all the gubbins that the doctor's got in his workshop. And he's like, oh, doctor, you should have been an inventor, not a doctor. Uh, but more importantly, I'm... I invent health. I invent health. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're a doctor. So undermining me. It's a really noble profession. Uh, but more importantly, are you done with all your patients? And the doctor's like, Yeah. Are you ill? Sorry, why is this such a fucking GP? Are you dumb? <laughs> I must run off to my morning surgery five minutes later playing with his clock. Dad! Yeah, literally. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, are you ill? And the doctor's like, hmm, no, my health is exemplary. Uh, but oh. I wish to talk to a woman and it wouldn't do anyone any good if she was seen coming to my house. But she is a known patient of the doctor's, so best if she comes here. So you want me to lie to one of my patients and tell her she needs to come in for a medical oh, thing? Uh, Poirot's already organised that she's on her way there, but to oh, anyone to see, so to anyone seeing her arrive, they'll just see her arriving at the doctor's, which won't arise arouse suspicion. 
And of course, what woman have we known that has come to the doctor for bullshit reasons so far? Lady who wanted poison. <laughs> Miss Russell, That's yeah, you got it. So while they're waiting, they talk of like how messed up the ah. detective. Hmm? R. R. Just pirating practice. <laughs> Just pirating in the background. So they're the talking ring. about how messed up the detective is now with having to arrange all his theories. And Poirot's like, yes, uh, I took full advantage of this. And I convinced him t for tomorrow in the newspapers. Uh, he's going to print a story that says uh, Ralph uh, Patton has been found and arrested in Liverpool when he was about to depart for America. Which is all Ooh, bollocks. Yeah. And, and the doctor's Ken. like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, why, why are you bringing this bullshit story? And the doctor is like, Papa Poirot knows what he is doing. I'm, only, I'm just glad he doesn't Papa Poirot to just Flora. Yeah, no, uh, well, to be fair, I think he does Papa Poirot to just Flora, but I just love... that. That's his, just his tone, his Papa Poirot knows. Papa Poirot. So Miss Russell arrives, and Poirot tells her that Charles Kent has been arrested in Liverpool, and she's like, Who? Who? Okay. <laughs> and then the doctor's like, he looks at Mrs. Russell and he suddenly remembers that he thought Charles Kent looked familiar the night that he saw him. Mm. But then when he saw him in Liverpool, he was like, no, nah, I don't recognise him. But now seeing Miss Russell here, <gasps> there is a striking resemblance. And he kind of looks at Poirot and Poirot gives him a little imperceivable little nod. Uh, so Papa knows. Papa uh, knows Papa best. knows best. And Miss Russell's like, I don't know him. I don't care. See ya. See ya. <laughs> and then Papa uh, Poirot. Poirot says that there's been a development in the case and that Flora never actually saw her uncle at a quarter to ten, meaning that Charles Kent is now suspect number one for committing the murder as he won't admit why he was at Fernley in the first place and thus he can't have an alibi. Therefore... He's gonna get fucking hanged, miss. Dun, dun, dun. And she suddenly starts sweating. She's like, he didn't do it. And I'll tell you why he was there. He never went near Roger's study. He never touched Roger. Please, he never had ever had anything to do with it. And Papa Paro sits back and he's like, Miss Russell, tell me your story. Yeah, being a detective would be great in that respect. Miss Russell. Tell me everything. <laughs> Tell me fucking everything. Want a glass of wine? <laughs> so she admits she went to see him in... Uh, she went to see Charles Ken in the summer house at, that night, on murder night. Um, murder and night? And then she came back via the window. Oh, she gets all flustered and can't be like, finish her story. And Poirot's like, Charles, he's your son, isn't he? And she nods. And like, well, yeah, obviously. Um, and she's like, it was long ago. No one knew. I wasn't married. It was down in Kent. <laughs> And he's like, so you took the name of the county as a surname for him. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> fucking punch a wall. Just the doctor in the background punches a wall. What's wrong? Sorry. Sorry. That's just it's really annoying. <laughs> and she says, I got work. I managed to pay for his board and lodging. And his father abandoned us, leaving his flat. Now he lives with an innkeeper man and his wife, and I pay for the child. What's the matter with that? <laughs> You're a whore. That's what it means. <laughs> so that's basically what's happened. She's been left high and dry by some guy. Um, it was in Kent. So when she had the baby, she was like, Kent, sure, legit, whatever. Legit. Um, and you think everyone from Kent is <laughs> called Kent? Yes. <laughs> okay. And okay. also, really accurate, worrying. <laughs> well, does he know that? It, I don't know if he does actually. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, um, so um, 
the second she gets enough money, um, she manages to pay for him to go to Canagher. Canagher, 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 Ken. She manages to pay for him to go to Canada, Canada, because apparently that's what you do. Is it because Charlie's the next closest word to Canada? She's trying to tie up loose ends. Yeah, why not? the same initials. Yeah. Charles, Canada, sure. Charles, um, and he, I mean, he's from Kent. Might as well go to Canada, right? Hello, Canada, Kent. <laughs> and uh, whilst he's in Canada, he obviously picks up a drug habit. And then he tracks his mum down, asks for dollar. So he comes to Fernley. She doesn't want anyone to see him because it will reveal that she had a son out of wedlock. And also that he's a massive fucking junkie. Um, so she tells him to meet her in the summer house. She gives him the dollar, sends him on his way. And uh, dust will have to pay at the, the end, end of the day. day. So, <laughs> Miss Russell thanks Poirot for being kind and um, Poirot... so, sorry how is Miss Russell connected to um, the guy who got murdered again she's the housekeeper okay that's, mm. that's the thing I was forgetting yeah because and they like, had a bit of a romantic dalliance they we did. Think, years ago I um, was just confused because they were talking about the pub I was like, in my head I'd remembered her as the innkeeper mm. of the pub and I was like why is she arranging to meet him in someone else's back <laughs> fucking garden? No, she lives there. Can you just imagine like, looking at your summer house and be like, there's two people having a very intense conversation. <laughs> Weird. Go <laughs> away. Private garden. So away. Um, <laughs> so Par has been quite nice throughout all of this and he's like, you know, I'll do everything um, that I can and we will exonerate Charles. Do not believe you, you can't. No. So she thanks him and she's off and away. Poirot says um, he has known since he found the quill and heard that Miss Russell asked the doctor about cocaine, that um, she was the one that was meeting someone in the summer house. And the doctor's like, you know, you know that, that credit where credits credit's due. Credits due. You've got a good eye for these things. Yeah, that's impressive. So the doctor Intuition. invites. <laughs> so the doctor invites Poirot for lunch, and Poirot declines, saying that he wouldn't want to make a uh, Miss Caroline eat vegetarian diet for two days in a row. Oh, he doesn't miss much. He doesn't miss much, but also you thought, oh, the fucking worst doctor. <laughs> um, so but anyway, I, I'm, it's about time my lunch. My sister always makes me lunch. Do you want to join? Mm. No. Oh, it because... makes me so angry. <laughs> because there was not enough yesterday, doctor, and you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> Did you ever have that when you were like a kid and you know, some like your friend would be like, say, oh, do you want to stay for dinner? But then like their parents mm. had and it was the most awkward thing especially being vegetarian oh yeah like, mm. might as well just shot their cat <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's and I'm vegetarian so back to lunch with Caroline so it's just Caroline and the doctor we found out that Poirot has had a guest very early that morning that hasn't left yet mm, but we don't know who Caroline just saw someone go into the house early that morning Poirot's having an early quickie early quickie but they're still there maybe Mysterious. It must come up that the doctor's like, so you asked Poirot about his nephew that's got like mental health problems. And he's like, why are you so fucking cringe? Why do you have to ask people about their personal issues? And she's like, I'm a better detective than you and you're jealous. Yeah, literally. She's like, well, if Poirot pops over this afternoon to chat to you, which I'm sure he will, I won't ask him about the mysterious guest he has at his house that arrived this morning that hasn't left yet. He's like, Okay, you're good. <laughs> okay, tell me out. Fine. <laughs> He's like, well, that's just the thing. I don't know, James. Um, that's what I'm going to ask later. So Poirot does pop over that afternoon and asks the doctor to come with him. And they start walking to Fernley. I'm sorry, but why mm. does Poirot take the fucking doctor instead of Caroline? Mm. They would be such a better team. I know. They get stuff... Sh- they- 
fucking gets off sorted. They really would. Um, so they start walking to Fernley, and Poirot asks the Doctor to go in and invite Mrs. Aykroyd, Flora, Major Blunt, and Mr. Raymond to a little conference at his house at nine o'clock that evening. He would do it That's himself. That's bedtime. Yeah, I know. But they'll start asking him questions about what it's all about, and he'd rather get it all out that night. So the doctor goes in and they're all in a flap about the newspaper article about Ralph that's been published now and Flora's confession about the money and they're all like, oh, that horrible raggle I made her confess to stealing money and she never even done it. And the doctor's like, cool, anyway, you guys in? You coming? And they're like, oh yeah, sure, Why see you at nine. organising something at nine? That means they're not really going to kick off things until about a quarter past, really, because someone's going to be late, there's going to be chatter, there's going to be finding your seats. Yeah. And then whatever was about to go down, it's going to take at least an hour, really. <laughs> then it's quarter past ten. And then they've got to get home, which means <sighs> it's 20 to 11. They're rich. They're, and they're rich and he's a GP. No one's got work in the morning. Yeah, true, yeah. true, true. This, can she, this is the anxiety I have of late night <laughs> events. So, um, Poro, um, Poro? Poro! Um, uh, the Doctor returns to Poirot and he's like, yeah, they're all invited. And then they return to the Doctors. And they get in the door and Caroline greets them by putting a finger to her lips and leads them to the dining room. Sitting at the table with her head resting on her arms is a girl who's obviously been crying. She lifts her head and the Doctor says, Ursula Bourne. I knew it was going to be Ursula. And Poirot says, no, that is not quite right. I think... It is not Ursula Bourne, is it, my child? But uh... is she just from? Was she just born and born? <laughs> She's from Lower Bourne. Um... Or was it just that she was born? <laughs> it is my child, but Ursula Patton, Mrs. Ralph Patton, <gasps> called it. So mm. Ursula and Ralph, Ursula's story. So Ursula is when like when he said my child, I was like. Poirot's kid. Yeah. My child, it is you. Papa. <laughs> I have to say papa to the wrong one. How yeah. embarrassing. Hey, I'm ashamed. So Ursula um, is like, I've seen the newspaper article, Ralph's been arrested, so fuck it. Fuck everything. I don't need to pretend anymore. And Poirot is like, um, Lord, uh, newspapers, they don't always uh, tell the truth. Lord, joke, uh, uh, but spill the tea. Spill the tea and I spill my tea. And Caroline is like, I'm not going anywhere. Now, child, why are you masquerading as a parlour maid? And the doctor's like, what the fuck? And Caroline is like, do keep up, James, dear. <laughs> but no, actually, they all just ignore him. Mm. And um, she's like, why are you pretending to be a parlour maid? Did you do it for a wager? And Ursula's like, for a living. Savage. Like, yeah, because you know, there's a whole thing like, she's too posh to be a yeah. parlour maid. So it turns out Ursula is from Irish gentry. But when her father died, most of the girls were cast out to earn their own living. Now, the fact it says most suggests that some girls weren't. <laughs> and also maybe some boys. Fucking savage. Just like, uh, eeny, meeny, you go out, you go out, you go out. Fuck you, Ursula, you go. <laughs> so it's literally like I just rocked up one day and was like, look, lads, the money's going to go to the boys. I'll be honest with you. But some of you are fitter than others. <laughs> Well, lol. So Ursula's older sister was married to Captain Folliot, who's got Dollar. Do you remember Folliot? Mrs. Folliot, who the doctor went to talk to about Ursula's references? Oh, yeah. So that's not her past employee, employer. That's Ursula's older sister. Mm. Mm, and hence why she was so shaky. And then in the book, it's like her embarrassment was obvious now. Like, why is it fucking weird? <laughs> like, why are you embarrassed? Like, was my sister and. My dad died leaving us flat. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, it's so sad. They have to be so shady. Like, what is the fucking problem? Like, 
What is the problem? Women without money. Like, is the issue that she was unmarried? Oh, well, her, that, well, dad died when she was six. Kind of weird. Yeah, kind of fucking weird. And just, yeah, just fucking... We had money and then we didn't, so now I'm earning money. Okay. Okay. It's just, I guess it's, like, embarrassing, you know, a fall from grace or whatever. I don't get a grip. So, um, she uh, obviously went from... I don't think she really worked for her sister, but anyway, her sister, like, gave her a reference so she could get the parlour maid job at Fernley. Yeah. Where she met Ralph, they vibe... Or it sounds more like that he vibed more than her. So. Ain't that the fucking way? <laughs> Ain't that the fucking way? Have a little listen to this. And then came her meeting with Ralph Patton and the love affair which culminated in a secret massive... Secret what? I beg your pardon? Secret massage. <laughs> secret marriage. <laughs> secret massage. Secret, well, that's what, that's what Ralph said. Um, Ralph had uh, persuaded her into that, somewhat against her will. Um, gross. He had declared that his stepfather would not hear of his marrying a penniless girl. Better to be married secretly and break the news to him at some later and more favourable minute. And so the deed was done. And Ursula Bourne became Ursula Patton. Ralph had declared that he meant to pay off his debts, find a job, and then when he was in a position to support her and independent of his adopted father, they would break the news to him. Uh, yeah. But basically, Ralph is a fucking waster and he just accrues more debts, doesn't... Debts? Debts. Debts. <laughs> doesn't sort himself out. And um, he thinks, okay, right, I'm obviously, like, just, you know, tanking more money. So I'm going to get Roger to pay off my debts thus far. And then once he's paid all that off, um, I will then tell him about the marriage once I have a clean slate. So he well, goes... you don't have a clean slate, you just owe money to one other person. Yeah, and so um, he goes to tell Roger, like, oh, gosh, I'm in a bit of a sticky wicket with all these debts. Yeah. Can't you look after yourself? Not really. Not really. Um, could, could you please uh, help me out, Roger? Uh, father. Papa. <laughs> and Roger, Papa. on hearing about the debts, uh, goes fucking ballistic and is fucking pissed. And so he calls Ralph to Fernley and informs Ralph, and he calls Flora in, that they are to be married. Bill, could may already married? Yeah, and he's like, you shall be married, Roger, um, Ralph, sorry, I will settle your debts upon the marriage, and Flora, you will have access to more wealth as a result of this match, and, you know, therefore we keep it all in the family. Right. Um, I'm happy, and you two have money, so therefore you are happy. Right. Why do you want to keep us in the, keep it in the family? I, I, I really disgusting. don't know why Roger wants Ralph and Floyd. It doesn't really explain what his angle is in this, but anyway. Puritan. Yeah. So Ralph, an absolute bellend, agrees with the idea, with the idea that it will be a long engagement and that after Roger pays off all his debts, he'll break the whole thing off. But, you know. He sucks. Fucking sucks. And Floyd. Honestly, you're better for that, and babe. I know. So Flora and Ralph both say that they want to keep the secret, uh, the sorry, engagement a secret for the moment. But once Ralph has left, Roger asks Flora if he can announce it. And obviously Flora doesn't know he's already married to Ursula. Yeah. And so she's like, I don't vibe him, but yeah, I'm going to at least have like financial freedom and like, you know, actual freedom. So yeah, you can announce it. It doesn't bother me. Um, so it's announced and Ursula hears it and is fucking so furious. So he didn't even fucking have the audacity to tell f um, Ursula first. He didn't have the respect. Like, he has the audacity not to tell her. So, yeah, Ursula hears when Roger announces that Flora and Ralph are to be married. His poor wife. His poor wife. 
I would fucking kill him. So Ralph and Ursula meet up for a little chat. You published the letter she sent you. <laughs> you told the whole world how you went and got engaged to someone else. <gasps> oh, you're fucking kind of cousin too. It's fucking gross. Not by blood. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Ursula and Ralph meet up for a little chat in the woods, which Caroline obviously overhears. And Ralph is like, and Ralph is just there like, can't you shut? <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, you fucking dickhead. <laughs> You're the fucking worst. I hate you. So Ralph is like, look, just keep it a, a secret a little while longer whilst we sort the money issues out. And by this point, they've been married for months. And he said he's going to, like, you know, sort himself out, get a job, get rid of all the debts. Hmm. He's just got more debts. And now he's fucking engaged to someone else. I'd stab him. And he's like, I'd just stab him. Yeah. And she's like, look, just, just lie a little bit longer. No. So naturally, Ursula is like, why don't you suck my fucking dick? Yeah. Like, I'm telling your uncle exactly, sorry, uncle, your stepfather, exactly why you can't marry Flora. So fuck you. Literally. And they go on, Elsie. Go on, fucking work the body, work the body. Yeah. Oh, oh, I got too excited and dropped the microphone. <laughs> ah, ah, come back. Ah, oh, no. Ah, Dramas. Um, so... I'd fucking kill him. So, um, yeah, uh, they both part ways and they're obviously naturally really pissed off. So um, she tells... Um, she, Ursula then goes to tell Roger what's gone on. Yeah. And he's all riled up from all this blackmail business already. And uh, their conversation just gets rather apocalyptic. Hence why it was half an hour. Like, yeah. that little exit interview. And, like, it's a weird exit interview. Mm. So they're both fucking seething, both, like, saying horrible things to each other. Um, Ralph and Ursula... So um, they were like, to be fair, Roger... Um, did put a lot of the blame at Ralph's door, but then he was kind of like, you've entrapped Ralph because you know he's coming into money and you've lost your money. You're a fucking daddy, daddy girl. And Ursula's like, oh my fuck, rolling up the sleeves. You want to fucking go old? Keep dropping my microphone. You fucking want to go old, man? Well, I'll have you too. I'll fucking have the lives. Go on, Ursula. I'm telling you on Ursula's side. Yeah, and she's like, well, I'm fucking gone. I hand in my notice. Fuck the lot of years. You weird incestuous cunts. Yeah. Um. So, um. yeah. Fuck fucking you. Fuck <laughs> fucking you. So, um, later that evening, Ralph and Ursula arranged to meet up again in the summer house to kind of discuss what's going on. And Ralph's like, you told my stepfather. You ruined it. And she again is like, no, you ruined it. By being Suck a cunt. My fucking dick. You fucking liar, about to be bigamist, literally, fuck fucking you. Uh, and yeah. 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 And so they part. Just the cat on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So they part ways again. And then the doctor um, notices that this is actually all making it look like Ralph did it even more. Like, if he didn't have motive before, he sure as fuck got it now. Yeah. So Poirot clears up that um, this chat between uh, Ralph and Ursula was happening between sort of like 9.30 to sort of like quarter to 10-ish. and enough time to get riled up to go do a murder. Kind of, around that kind of time. Um, but if the murder was happening then, then or if it had already happened... Then all chill. They have a solid alibi. Well, I say they have a solid alibi, but they're each other's husband and wife, so you can't have a solid alibi if it's verified by your spouse. Ursula, <laughs> you think you think he's my fucking husband in that <laughs> yeah, respect? Like... You think I won't rat the cunt out? <laughs> but um, also, no one saw Ursula come back to her room after the conversation. So by revealing all of this and all like her kind of motives, she's made herself prime suspect number one. And as she kind of like is selling, telling the story, it sort of dawns on her. And she's like, I'm going to get fucking hung. 
I'm gonna get sorry fucking hanged. Let's get our grammar right at least. Uh, um, might as well at least die with Demnata. <laughs> and uh, you know, even if Ralph Patton didn't do the murder, what a fucking piece of shit! Because now mm-hmm. it looks like she did it. And where the fuck is he? He's such a piece of shit. He's such a fucking piece of shit. He is only allowed off if he is. Well, he's still not allowed off because he's still absolute shit. Mm. But he's only allowed off this if he's dead in the ditch somewhere. Yeah, literally. Oh, she already killed him. Yeah, at all. So Poirot. Like, well, says I guess he can't really turn up for that then. And um, Poirot's like, I do not think much of your husband. And um, Ursula's like, Oh no, no, no! He wouldn't run away on purpose. I was so angry. He probably thinks that I did it. Still a piece of shit. Still a piece of actual human feces. Like he should come fucking talk to you about it. And then, <laughs> to be fair, like, all right. why don't you go talk to her? Because she's a murderer and I'm scared. <laughs> As you killed my uncle, what do you think she's going to do to me? <laughs> fair enough. And yes, you were. bit fair. Oh, yeah, then Ursula says, I was so cruel to him that no, night. No, you weren't! So hard and bitter. I wouldn't listen to what um, he was trying to say. Wouldn't believe that he really cared. I you just... doesn't! Cunt. Sorry, I just stood there telling him what I thought of him. Good! Yes, because you thought that of him. And saying the coldest, cruelest things that came into my mind. Good! Trying my best to hurt him. I thought, this is why Caroline is a fucking vibe. Do him no harm, said Caroline. Nice. Never nice. worry about what you say to a man. They're so conceited that they never believe you mean it if it's unflattering. <laughs> <laughs> I want that on a t shirt. <laughs> They're so conceited that they never believe it if it's unflattering. Never. What was the first thing? Just so we know it's talking about men. Do, oh, do, um, never worry about what you say to a man. They're so conceited that they never believe you mean it if it's unflattering. Beautiful. Eloquent. <laughs> and it's just brilliant even more when you remember it's written by a woman. Like, she yeah. felt those words. Yeah, she, she did, really she felt did. those words. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> Ursula is like that's why I asked the doctor if he knew where Ralph was because um, Ralph says that he and the doctor are like besties in um, King's Abbot and the doctor's like are we? <laughs> it's a sad moment when it's like uh, I have lots of friends yeah. <laughs> literally like, um, I, uh, okay <laughs> I mean I know you but I kind of know everyone I'm the doctor I'm the doctor he's kind of my patient so okay um, it's my best friend <laughs> Embarrassing. Embarrassing. Um, you're like, are we? I was like, aren't you? No. <laughs> not really. Um, anyway, Poirot is like, do not worry, leave it to me. Place your faith in Hercule Poirot. It's Papa. Mm, Papa Poirot. Well, now he's being very um, sincere. Hercule Poirot. What the fuck does Hercule mean? It's his first name. <laughs> Hercule Poirot. Um, why did, I, was like, I was about to be like, why is he pretending to be fucking Hercules? Who the fuck does he think he is? Men! The conceited level of men! Oh. And he's like, uh, no joke, uh, Ursula, you come to my conference tonight at nine too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I just want to have a party. Yeah, literally. Carol- this is how we start a party. <laughs> this is how we start an orgy. Um, <laughs> Caroline takes Ursula away to lie down. It's been a hell of an afternoon. Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh right, I've not overly laboured this point, but the reason that Poirot really likes a doctor is because he reminds him of his old mate Hastings. I'm guessing if you've read like early Poirot books, Hastings are a bit like Watson and Sherlock. I see. And um, so Hastings would often have things completely wrong, but as he was kind of like summarising his musings, he would sort of like reveal the truth to Poirot. So, um, you'd be, I don't know, he'd say something like, and you know, um, at least he had his cup of coffee in the morning, and then Poirot would be like, of course, he had coffee because he was tired from the murder the night before. Your excellent Hastings. And Hastings like, what? 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 
don't know. Um, so yeah, he keeps sort of like saying to the doctor, like, I feel like I'm a bit of a Hastings just in life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he's kind of like to the doctor, like, oh, you remind me of my friend Hastings, but he lives in the Argentine now. Oh, I miss him so much. And uh, it's kind of like savage because he's just hanging out with the doctor and he's like, oh, I miss Hastings. Not quite Hastings, are you, doctor? <laughs> no. No. I am a fucking doctor. I'm a fucking doctor. Um, why are you hanging out with me and not seeing your patients while well, I'm a GP? Yeah, so there you go. So this time Poirot is like, Hastings, he always kept a written account of the events too. And the doctor is like, well, um, I must confess, I've actually read some of Hastings' narratives. And as this was such a unique opportunity, I, I've been giving it a go too. <laughs> and um, Poirot is like, oh, give it to me at once. I must read it. I thought cried Poirot. Let me see this, this instant. I was not quite prepared for such a sudden demand. I racked my brains to remember certain details. Um, I hope you won't mind, I stammered. I may have been uh, a, um, a little personal now and then. Oh, I comprehend perfectly. You have referred to me as a comic, perhaps, as ridiculous now and then. It matters not at all. Hastings, uh, he was also uh, not always polite. Me, I have the mind above such trivialities. Lol. <laughs> He's a man. Anything that isn't a compliment, just he won't believe it. Water off a duck's back. Literally. Anyway, the Doctor and Poirot um, head over to Poirot's after Poirot's um, taken the manuscript to read. So they head over to Poirot's to get everything ready for later. And Audrey as time. they pass Caroline in the hall, Poirot's like, you're not invited. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, he's sort of like, look, tonight I am accusing someone of committing the murder. And uh, it's gonna be fucking orcs babes and you know i, I... want to be there <laughs> uh, and i'm sure you know if i could use your services i'll be in contact but uh there's enough people tonight it's gonna be fucking awkward and absolutely not so like savage <laughs> so um, they I'm... Had... <laughs> i smack him on my sorry how much of this case have you solved because of me yeah literally it's because he wants to take all the fucking glory it's like she just leans over like is it the person who I think is? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yes.
Fuck off, Laura. Fuck off, Laura. I don't think it's written that way, but lol. Um, Sorry, Aggie, mate. Did you understand human interaction? Yeah, literally. Um, why would you go and be like, I'm so glad he's your husband? So I'd just be like, you're right, babe. Sorry, sorry, a bit rude then. All yeah. you had to say is, you're right. Yeah, you're right, babes. You're right. Uh, the headlines of this whole meeting is basically um, Poirot sucking his own dick for ages, explaining how he's figured out that Miss Russell met her son in the summer house and then Ursula met Ralph afterwards. Uh, both these meetings mean that none of those people could have been with Roger at 9.30 when Raymond overheard him talking. So, who was with Roger at 9.30? If everyone who is a suspect is in the room at this point, mm. which one of you was with him? No one. <gasps> That's So... Raymond is like, you calling me a fucking liar? Blunt heard him too. We heard him talking to someone at 9.30. And Poirot is like, quit. I always thought the uh, words you heard him say were uh, a little weird. Uh, it's really uh, interesting. Let me find the page. The calls on my purse have been so frequent of late that I fear it is impossible for me to accede your request. Is he reading the letter aloud? It's like he's dictating a letter. Yeah. You all forget the stranger that visited him, that visited him on Wednesday from the dictaphone company. Well, I contacted the company and he did buy a dictaphone. So, um, oh, and then Raymond's like, oh, he must have meant to surprise me with it, murmured Raymond. He had quite a childish love of surprising people. Went to keep it up his sleeve for a day or so. Probably was playing with it like a new toy. Yes, it fits in. You're quite right. No one would use quite those words in casual conversation. Oh, I got a present. Yeah, so Raymond is like, well, in that case, it looks like it could be Ralph. And Ursia is like, no, he didn't want to face his stepfather after we'd spoken. Believe me, he would have funked it badly. He would have uh, been quite funky. <laughs> Is that what actually what it says? He would have funked it badly. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> so anyway, um, she's like, Ralph would have been trying to get away, so it wouldn't have been him. And Raymond is like, well, where is he now then? And Poirot is like, you doubt that I know. <laughs> I know where Ralph is. Where? Uh, and Raymond's like, Cranchester? <laughs> and Poirot's Kent? like... This is obsession with Cranchester. <laughs> I really want to do a slapstick play, but what is this obsession? Seriously? He's like, what is this obsession with Cranchester? No, he's not in Cranchester. He's there. <gasps> Scary! And Ralph walks into the room. Dun, dun, dun. He's there. <laughs> he was the mysterious guest that swore that morning you hasn't left. I thought that was Ursula. No, no, no. She came round to the doctors in the afternoon. Ah. So the doctor looks up to see Ralph holding Ursula's hand, and this fucking annoys me because why is she holding his hand? She's she's, uh, she's just like an accessory to it. Maybe they've had a little chat before this meeting and reunited, but kill him. They're just a united front now. Maybe she's waiting until they're married, and then she's going to kill him off and be like, "They are oh. married." Oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe she's waiting until it's all calmed down a little bit. So he's got his inheritance. Yeah, that's it. And then she's going to kill him off and inherit everything. Mm-hmm. Clever girl. Clever girl. So the doctor now sees that Taro <coughs> is waggling his finger at him, at the doctor. Ooh. And Poirot, what the fuck? And the Poirot, the Poirot, Poirot is like, I asked all of you not to conceal anything from me. Well, sneaky snoo doctor missed that memo. <laughs> and the doctor is like, okay. I did. Okay, after the murder, I knew it looked really bad for Ralph. So I did go to find him after we found the body, and I told him. I told him, and then Ralph cuts in, to do a bunk, said Ralph graphically. 
Very good. penis out. <laughs> just says to do a bunk. To do a bunk. And a spunk. And a bunk. And a spunk. And Poirot. Frank, are you okay? And Poirot was like, and uh, where would a doctor hide someone? A hotel? Lodgings? No. A nursing home for the mentally unfit. I invented a nephew with a mental trouble, and in a bid to find suitable care for him, I appeal to Caroline, and she tells me of the home her brother frequents. I visit, and I find Ralph. Scary. I mean, he's fucking good. He is good. And, and that's why he was in Cranchester. So he didn't have a fucking dentist appointment. Uh, he got you, Caroline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did get you a little bit. Um, Ralph is like, um, Dr. Shepherd has been a ruddy good friend, stood by me, tried to protect me, but I see now that it would have been best for me to come forward. I never saw any newspapers in the home, so I didn't know how things were ramping up. And, uh, however, Ralph's alibi for before and after meeting Ursula are unverifiable, because he was like, I was just walking around the lanes in a death of a mood. Uh, Good for you. Mm-hmm. And he was on his own, so... Uh. Never go anywhere on your own. So, the only way for Ralph to clear his name is for the real murderer to confess. That is the only way. And Poirot's voice goes all dangerous. Okay, I don't know how to do this. <clears throat> <clears throat> Channel you in a Randall, whatever his name was. Racklin. But Belgian. Made it harder. I <laughs> know <laughs> uh, the real murderer is in here. And tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> I'm telling Raglan. <laughs> I can only do I was going to say, I really felt Raglan there. <laughs> I really felt his power. <laughs> I'm telling Raglan. You understand? <laughs> <laughs> I it was here for a minute. That was wonderful for our Then the housekeeper brings him a telegram, because of course she does. He reads it, and Blunt kind of cuts him whilst he's reading. And he's like, the murderer is in here. You know who? And Poirot's reading the telegram. He's like, I know. Now. <laughs> oh, my God. And Raymond's like, what's that? And Poirot says, <laughs> this is so weird. Poirot says, a wireless message from a steamer now on her way to the United States. There was a dead silence. Poirot rose to his feet, bowing. Monsieur and Madame, this reunion of man is at an end. Remember, the truth goes to Inspector Raglan in the morning. Sorry, but Poirot, why would you do this? You're setting yourself up to get murdered tonight. Oh, doctor makes that point. So everyone leaves and leaves um, the doctor and Poirot alone. And the doctor again is doubting if Poirot knows shit. So they're both standing by the fire and Poirot asks the doctor what he makes of it all and the doctor is like I don't know what to think frankly <laughs> uh, what was the point why not go straight to Inspector Raglan with the truth instead of giving the guilty person this elaborate warning Poirot sat down and drew out his case of tiny Russian cigarettes he spoke okay. weird <laughs> he spoke for a minute or two uh, as he smoked for a minute or two in silence then use your little green cells he said there is always a reason behind my actions. Sorry, why is he so fucking sad? Use your little green cells. Yeah, did I say green? I meant grey. But yeah, brain cells. Um, so Poirot says he'll take the doctor. Use your little brain cells. Use your little brain cells. <laughs> fucking condescending. I'm like, you know what? I might murder you. You're so rude. Uh, so this is the doctor again. Um, I hesitated for a moment and then I said slowly, the first one that occurs to me is that you yourself do not know who the guilty person is, but that you are sure that he is to be found amongst the people here tonight. Therefore, your words were intended to force a confession from the unknown murderer? Poirot nodded approvingly. That better not fucking be because that's shit. That's shit. Uh, a clever idea, but uh, not the truth. Good. Good, good. I thought... 
perhaps that by making him believe you knew, you might force him to go into the open, not necessarily by confession, he might try to silence you as he formally silenced Mr. Ackroyd before you could act tomorrow morning. A trap with myself as bait? Merci, mon ami, but I am not sufficiently heroic for that. <laughs> Risk myself? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Then I fail to understand you. Surely you are running the risk of letting the murderer escape by thus putting him on the spot. Oh, you are putting yourself on. Maybe not as bait, but maybe you don't mean to be bait, but definitely a victim. Yeah, literally. Poirot shook his head. He cannot escape, he said gravely. There is only one way out, and that way does not lead to freedom. <laughs> so Poirot then takes um, the doctor step by step through his thought process. To My show paranoid brain from the doctor's point of view. I think it's me. <laughs> it's now, is it? Do I do that? Like, 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 am I the villain? <laughs> I don't think I'm the villain. Yeah. yeah. So Poirot takes him um, step by step through his process to show that all the evidence can only logically point to one person. So firstly, that if it had been Ralph Patton, the phone call became absurd and pointless. So there was literally no reason to have the phone call. Mm. So it can't be Ralph. Therefore, the crime had to be discovered that night to tie in with the murderer's plan. In the doctor's manuscript, he has drawn a plan of the study. And in there, remember I showed it to you before, because yeah. this whole book is like meant to be the doctor's manuscript. Yeah. So, um, it, yeah, there's the chair that's been moved. And when drawn out, it obscures a little table from sight when viewed from the door. So, therefore, there was something behind the chair, something to do with the murder, something that had to be removed as soon as possible after the crime. Therefore, the telephone call would make sense, as it would create a reason for some people to return to the scene as the news came out of mm. the murder, so that they could remove it. So, it couldn't have been Parker, because um, he pointed out that the chair had been moved, so, you know, he kind of shoot himself in the foot. So, perhaps it could have been Raymond or Blunt... But what was the object? So tonight they discussed the dictaphone, but no one has queried why no dictaphone was ever found on the scene. Idiots. <laughs> and uh, the, <laughs> Idiots. Idiots. And the doctor's like, I didn't think of that, uh, but why remove it? And Poirot says that everyone is presuming that the dictaphone was used when someone was speaking into it, but a dictaphone also speaks out. What if it was speaking out later? And so Ackroyd was already dead at 9.30, but it was playing his voice again. So... Oh, that's creepy that the murderer was in there listening to it. Oh, so then the doctor says the murderer must have been in the room using it. Oh, that's creepy. And Poirot is like, maybe, or perhaps a, manical, a, a mechanical addition was made to it to make it play. Oh, mm, so, so the murderer was like... not in the room. And then there are the footprints, Ralph's boots... Ralph had two pairs, one were on his feet when he left, and the other one were at the, was at the pub being cleaned, which the police now have in evidence. So either someone must have had the same shoes, unlikely, or someone must have nicked the ones being cleaned and then returned them. So the doctor says the murderer must have had opportunity to steal the dagger too. Poirot surmises, thus, well, let me get to my summary. Kind of a murderer, to be fair. I know. If Poirot hadn't been on it, mm -hmm. they'd have been going down. Let us recapitulate. Now that it is all clear, a person who was at the Three Boars earlier that day, a person who knew who knew who knew Ackroyd well enough to know that he had purchased a dictaphone, a person who was of a mechanical turn of mind, who had the opportunity to take the dagger from the silver table before Miss Flora arrived, who had with him a receptacle is it the fucking doctor suitable for hiding a dictaphone such as a black bag who had the study to himself for a few minutes after the crime was discovered while Parker was telephoning for the police, 
In fact, Dr. Shepherd. Bum, bum, bum. Bum. And now I double check that we're still recording. Good, because that would have been a shit bit of audio to lose. (laughs) Dr. Donard. Dr. Donard. Why? The doctor laughs and calls Poirot mad. You're mad, I tell you. Couldn't have been me. What the fuck? And no, says Poirot. It was the little discrepancy in time that led me to you. Right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Aggie Christie. Aggie Christie. Discrepancy in time, I queried, puzzled. But yes, you were... All right, Kate, you tell me. There is now a very long bit in which Pryro summarises exactly what's going on. Do I do it all in the Belgium accent or do I just read it as myself? I don't know why you would ask me that question. (laughs) (laughs) Fine, we're going Belgium. (laughs) Fucking hell. But yes, you will remember that everyone agreed, you yourself included, that it took five minutes to walk from the lodge to the house. Less if you took the shortcut to the terrace, but you left the house at ten minutes to nine, both by your own statement and by that of Parker. And yet, it was nine o'clock when you passed through the lodge gates. It was a chilly night, not an evening a man would be inclined to dawdle. Why have you taken ten minutes to do a five-minute walk? All along I realised that we only had your statement for it, that the study window was ever fastened. Ackroyd asked you if you had done so. He never looked to see. Supposing then that the study window was unfastened, would there be time in that ten minutes for you to turn around outside of the house, change your shoes, climb in through the window, kill Ackroyd and get to the gate by nine o'clock? I decided against the theory, since in all probability a man as nervous as Ackroyd was at that night would hear you climbing in and then there would have been a struggle. But supposing that you killed Ackroyd before you left, as you were standing beside his chair, then you would go out the front door, run around to the summer house, take Ralph Patton's shoes out of the bag that you bought with you that night, slip them on, walk through the mud in them, and then leave prints on the window ledge. You climb in, lock the study door on the inside, run back to the summer house, change back into your own shoes, and race down to the gate. I went through similar actions the other day when you were inviting everyone to my little conference. It took ten minutes exactly. Mm. Then home and an alibi, since you had timed the dictaphone for half past nine. My dear Poirot, I said in a voice that sounded strange and forced to my own ears. You have been brooding over this case too long. What on earth had I to gain by murdering Ackroyd? Safety. It was you who blackmailed Mrs. Ferraz. Who could have been a bet? Who could have had better knowledge of what killed Mr. Ferraz than the doctor who was attending him? When you spoke to me that day, at first in the garden, you mentioned a legacy you received about a year ago. I have been unable to discover any trace of a legacy. You had to invent some way of accounting for Mrs. Farage's £20,000. He's also spent 20000 He's spunked it away in a year. That's why, do you remember earlier when the, um, the, yeah. uh, the um, solicitor was like, £20,000? like, £20,000! Fuck, I've got a problem. It has not done you much good. You lost most of it in speculation. Then you put a screw on too hard and Mrs. Ferraz took a way out that you had not expected. If Ackroyd had learned the truth, he would have had no mercy on you. You were ruined forever. And the telephone call, I asked, trying to rally. You have a plausible explanation of that also, I suppose. I will confess to you that it was my greatest stumbling block when I found out that a call had actually been picked 
put through to you from King Abbott's station. At first I believed that you had simply uh, invented the story. It was a very clever touch, that. You must have had some excuse for arriving at Fernley, finding the body, and uh, so uh, getting the chance to remove the dictaphone on which your alipi... Alipi. Your alipi, relax! <laughs> it's a delicious kind of pie. Um, alibi depended. I had a very vague notion of how it worked when I came to see your sister on the first day and inquired as to what patients you had seen on Friday morning. I had no thought of Miss Russell in my mind at the time. Her visit was a lucky coincidence since it distracted your mind from the real object of my questions. I found what I was looking for. Among your patients that morning was the steward of an American liner. Who more suitable than he to be leaving for Liverpool by the train that evening, and afterwards he would be on the high seas, well out of the way. I noted that the Orient set sail on Saturday. Having obtained the name of the steward, I sent him a wireless message, asking a certain question. This is his reply. You saw me receive just now. He held out the message to me. It ran as followed. Quite correct. Dr. Shepherd asked me to leave a note at a patient's house. I was to ring him up from the station with the reply. The reply was, no answer. So this seems weird. The doctor's like met a patient and he's like, Lord Joe, this evening, can you call and leave a note at a patient's house? Ring up the from the station and tell a patient no answer? Yeah. But anyway, so that's why he had a phone call. And then obviously the doctor's just made up like what he's heard. Yeah. It was a clever idea, Sir Poirot. The call was genuine. Your sister saw you take it. But there was only one man's word as to what was actually said. Your own. Dun, dun, dun. I yawned. Ah, <laughs> oh, quite... So it's the slow clap, isn't it? Just... <laughs> You've done it, Poirot. All this, I said, is very interesting, but hardly in the sphere of practical politics. You think not? Remember what I said, the truth goes to Inspector Raglan in the morning. But for the sake of your good sister, I am willing to give you a chance of another way out. There might be, for instance... No plea bargains! ...an overdose of a sleeping <gasps> draught. You comprehend me? But Captain Fuck. Ralph Patton must be cleared. Savasans dire, that means it goes without saying. I should suggest that you finish with that very interesting manuscript of yours, but abandoning your former reticence. You seem to be very prolific of your suggestions, I remarked. Are you sure you've quite finished? Not that you remind me of the fact, it is true that there is one more thing. It would be most unwise on your part to attempt to silence me as you silence Mr. Ackroyd. That kind of business does not succeed against Hercule Poirot, you understand. My dear Poirot, I said, smiling a little. I just get the image of him sword fighting, and then, like, when the doctor almost has him, Poirot's just like, aha, you forget something. I am not right-handed. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> My dear Poirot, I said, smiling a little. Whatever else I may be, I am not a fool. I rose to my feet. Well, well, I said with a slight yawn. I must be off home. Thank you for a most interesting and instructive evening. Poirot also rose and bowed with his little accustomed politeness as I passed out the room. <laughs> Off to kill yourself. Uh, this is fucking fucked. The final chapter. Apologia. Lol, soz. <laughs> Words fail. So it's 5am and the doctor is tired, but he has finally finished his manuscript. 
He admits that he first panicked when he saw Mrs. Ferraz and Ralph talking conspiringly. Poor old Ackroyd. I'm always glad that I gave him a chance. I urged him to read that letter before it was too late. Well, let me be honest. Didn't I subconsciously realise that with a pig-headed chap like him, it was my best chance of getting him not to read it? (laughs) His nervousness that night was interesting psychologically. He knew danger was close at hand, and yet he never suspected meh. Yeah, not a little of Dagger was an afterthought. I brought up a very handy little weapon of my own, but when I saw the dagger lying in the silver table, it occurred to me at once how much better it would be to use the weapon that couldn't be traced to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, because um, this book is obviously the Doctor's manuscript, he pulls out the odd sentence here and there to be like, lol, see, it was me. Better. It was me. You didn't appreciate the sentence at the time. Um, I suppose I must have meant to murder him all along. Then why did you bring the knife? Um, as, soon as, the knife? as soon as I heard of Mrs. Farrar's death, I felt convinced that she would have told him everything before she died. When I met him and he seemed so agitated, I thought that perhaps he knew the truth, that he couldn't bring himself to believe it, and was going to give me the chance of refuting it. So I went home, took my precautions. If the trouble were, after all, only something to do with Ralph... Well, no harm would have been done. The dictaphone he had given... (laughs) He had given me two days before to adjust. Something had gone a little wrong with it, and I persuaded him to let me have a go at it instead of sending it back. I did what I wanted to it and took it up with me in my bag that evening. I am rather pleased with myself as a writer. (laughs) What could be neater, for instance, than the following? So this is what he wrote earlier in the book around the murder. Mm. The letters were brought in at 20 minutes to nine. It was just about 10 minutes to nine when I left him. The letters still unread. I hesitated with my hand on the door handle, looking back and wondering if there was anything I had left undone. So he killed him before he even read the letter. Mm. Mm-hmm. All true, you see. But suppose I'd put in a row of stars after that first sentence. Would somebody then have wondered what exactly had happened in that blank 10 minutes? <laughs> when I looked around the room from the door, I was quite satisfied. Nothing had been left undone. Sorry, fucking Aggie, Aggie just patting herself on the back yeah. here. <laughs> um, the dictaphone was on the table by the window. Time to go off at 9.30. The mechanism of that little device was rather clever, based on the principle of an alarm clock. He fucking loves a clock. He does love a clock. And the armchair was pulled out so as to hide it from the door. I must admit, admit that it gave me rather a shock to run into Parker just outside the door. I have faithfully recorded that fact. Then later, when the body was discovered, and I had sent Parker to telephone for the police, what a judicious use of the words, I did what little had to be done. (laughs) (laughs) It was quite little, just to shove the dictaphone into my bag and push back the chair against the wall in its proper place. I never dreamed that Parker would have noticed that chair. Logically, he ought to have been so agog over the body as to be blind to everything else. But I hadn't reckoned with the train servant complex. I wish I could have known beforehand that Flora was going to say she'd seen her uncle alive at a quarter to ten. That puzzled me more than I can say. In fact, all through the case there have been things that puzzled me me hopelessly. Everyone seems to have taken a hand. My greatest fear all through has been Caroline. I fancied she might guess. Curious the way she spoke um, the other day of my strain of weakness. Well, I thought you were going to say, my biggest concern is Caroline. Something tells me she could have been involved. Everyone seems to be involved (laughs) at some point. Well, she will never know the truth. There is, as Poirot said, one way out. I can trust him. She will know the truth because that's your confession. Oh, 
Yeah, he hasn't written it. Anyway, I can. I guess this is just for Poirot. Well, he's bloody going to publish it. I mean, it's a book. Yeah. <laughs> if he just, if the Doctor just kills himself, that that's not Wait. enough evidence in itself to clear Frank's name. Ralphs. <laughs> Okay, guys, I've been saying Frank a lot. I'm sorry. I meant Ralph. I've um, also potentially been calling him Fred. I think I've think you've been good this episode. I've definitely called him Frank at least once. Um, anyway. Because I remember thinking, like, I didn't call him Fred that time. Well done, me! Gave myself a little pat on the back and everything. And his name was Ralph. Look, the names Frank, Ralph and Fred all take up the same space in my head. Right, last bit. Um, I can trust him. He and Inspector Raglan will manage it between them. I should not like Caroline to know. She is fond of me, and then too, she is proud. My death will be a grief to her, but grief passes. When I finish writing, I shall enclose this whole manuscript in an envelope and address it to Poirot. As if she's not going to read it. Yeah. And then, what shall it be? Veronal? That would be some kind of poetic justice. That's how Mrs. Farrar's killed herself. Yeah. Not that I take any responsibility for Mrs. Farrar's death. It was a direct consequence of her own actions. I feel no pity for her. Oh, fuck off. I have no pity for myself either. Let it be Veronal, but I wish Hercule Poirot had never retired from work and come here to grow vegetable marrows. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I like Aggie Christie. That was, that was quite a ride. That was, that was quite a ride. I didn't think it was going to be the doctor. I know I joked a few times, but I didn't. It was just when it was like, and had a bag. And I was just like, it was the doctor. The doctor all along. So um, I did call it was the doctor, but only when Poirot didn't invite Caroline to the conference. And I was mm. like, because he's going to accuse your fucking brother and it's going to be orcs. Mm. Um, but I didn't guess it before then. I'm um, notoriously terrible at noticing anything. So <laughs> it took me until the revealing sentence. <laughs> Dr. Shepherd. Dr. Shepherd, ah, yes. Uh, what, 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 and also, um, I was discussing this with someone at work who's quite a big Agatha Christie pla- uh, fan. And I'd forgotten that, you know, the death sentence was hanging. That's why I kept like saying it. Because at the end I was like, Poirot is just like, lol, don't kill yourself. What a fucking savage. <laughs> and I was like, oh, because the alternative is him being hanged. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, mm. I wondered why you're focusing on that, why you were mm. saying that earlier with mm. um, Ursula. And I was like, well, I mean, yes, she'll get hung or hanged, mm. but I still wouldn't really want to go to prison forever for a crime I didn't do. Yeah. Like, it still sounds pretty shit. Just like, you're going to be killed horrifically if you get caught for this as well. It's not just prison. It's, it's, not, it's not nice. It's a torturous death. It's a torturous, torturous death. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that. So, um, a slightly longer episode, but yeah, hopefully it'll make up for the fact it's a little bit late. And, um, yeah, well, um, I guess we'll be going to having our timed mid-season break at the moment. We'll be putting up on socials when we'll be back with our... It's not mid-season, it's the end of the season. We just finished a book, mate. Oh, yeah, I know. It's late. I don't know. I've had some wine. So, um... yeah, shall I take over? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, we'll be taking uh, about a two-week break just to recover um from that and then we'll be recover recover. (laughs) my god and then we shall be entering the summer months with emma by jane austen delightful and i can tell you it's going fabulous (laughs) that is a good summer read there's love triangles 
That's a wonderful Christmas Eve. <laughs> Perfect for July. <laughs> we won't get to that in July. It'll be August. <laughs> well, we hope to see you all then, lads. As always, you can follow us over on our uh, socials. You can open up a discussion. Did you get it that it was going to be the Doctor? Or were you like me and only clocked it as, like, it was pretty pretty obvious. I'm like, this revealing sentence. Uh, <laughs> when did you pick it up? And who are your suspects as well? Let us know. Let's have a conversation. So you can follow us over on our socials. Just type in on Classical with that. If you really liked us today, you can follow find us over on Patreon. And there's some pretty cool things over there. And you get early access to episodes. So you're frankly winning. And we like you. Thanks very much, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. For fuck's sake. Bye.